0: Rowdy in the right, that ball got some carry, and it's gone! He hit the top of the wall, and bounces on out of here! He's done it again, Rowdy to Liz!
1: There was definitely extra emotions playing against him, you know, they are the team that drafted me, gave me the chance to play in the big leagues, but I couldn't be more happy to be here in Milwaukee and be around this fan base and play in front of these people.
0: This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills.
2: You know, consider all the Brewers conversation we've had the last two, three weeks or so. Some of the places we've gone. Some of the things we've said. We're getting angry because Lorenzo Cain wants out on the team. Okay, well, I got angry about that. Right. Vibes were negative there. At one point, I believe I was pondering whether or not the Brewers are good. Uh, That was about midway through June. I think that was during the Mets series. They're good. But we went to a dark place there. We're talking about the future of Christian Yelich and what this team can actually accomplish and whether or not they can contend and this and that. Right. We've, We've gone to some negative places we had some moments over the last month where we're not really sure. We have some uncertainty about our team, right? And we've had plenty of positive conversations, too. But today I'm trying to think of all the negative ones. Because very sneaky here, very, uh, without a lot of noise, the Brewers swept the Reds last weekend. Okay, that doesn't mean much. Well, then they split a four-game set with St. Louis, which is really impressive considering that the Cardinals always seem to have I don't know. You can call it devil magic. You can call it whatever. They always have to seem the, the right recipe to beat the Brewers. And then this weekend, they take two of three from a really, really good Toronto Blue Jays team, score a bunch of runs, get an unbelievable outing from Corbin Burns on Saturday. I'm thinking, wait a damn minute here. In the last week, you got a sweep, a series split against your divisional rival, and then you win two of three against a really, really good uncommon opponent from the American League. Wait a minute. We're on a nice little stretch here with the Brewers, aren't we? Look at at us. Look at us. We're not doing too bad for all the negative conversations we've had over the last month or so. And I don't think we've been overly negative. I think everything we've talked about on the show has been fair, but hasn't always been excited and positive and optimistic. Just take a look around. Smell the roses. Smell the flowers. We're in a pretty good spot right now. Not bad. We got two against the Rays and then a bunch of winnable games in the next week or so four against the pirates then three against the cubs by the way thank you cubs for taking a couple from the cardinals this weekend and then three more against pittsburgh at home we're gonna be looking back at the last 25 days hopefully and thinking there we go that's when they really started to kick it into gear hopefully things are lining up well for the brewers but a really solid last seven days this is the wisco sports show my name is grant bills i'm so glad you're here i hope you had an awesome weekend some fun brewers baseball games to watch except on Friday, but Friday is the night where if the Brewers are getting their butt kicked, I don't really feel bad about turning a Brewer game off on Friday night. If I'm going to skip one game a week to do something else, if I'm going to make an active choice to do something instead of watching the Brewers, I'm normally going to do it on Friday night because we've just done five days worth of this show and we've talked a lot about the Brewers and we're not going to do another show until Monday, which means Saturday and Sunday's game will have taken place at that point. So a lot of times I take Friday night off they got smoked on Friday. Uh, not great. Not great at all. Adrian Hauser, not great. We'll talk more about Hauser and what this rotation is looking like later on in the show. I want to talk a lot of Brewers tonight. This is going to be a show for you small ball fans. Right? Like, you know, when a band does a concert and they have had make music forever. Like, I think of Dave Matthews' band or, or one of those acts that, you know, people see dozens of times. At the beginning of the show, it's like, hey... If you're a fan of our our second or third album, tonight's gonna be the night for you, right? We're gonna put together a, a set of songs from this era when we were making music with this sound. And man, if, if that's your favorite, this is the night for you. Well, guess what? If you're a fan of small ball and bunting and sacrifice flies and moving the runner over, tonight's show is is for you. So strap in tonight. Tonight is tonight is for you. A lot of stock. I want to start with. Smallball, you can join the show as always. Give me a call or a text. 608-796-2558. You can find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. If you're on Twitter and Twitter's your thing, follow me. It'll be fun. We can go back and forth and get mad online and do all the things you're supposed to do on social media. I could talk about yesterday's brewer game for the next two hours. Start to finish. They won 10 to 3. What a joy. Right? Yesterday's games or yesterday's game is the type of game you want to be at the ballpark for, right? Like, I was listening to a little bit of the game driving around, and then I watched some highlights because I wasn't home for the most part when the game was on. And I thought, man, today would have been a fun day to be at the ballpark, right? A couple big rallies, three runs in the first, five in the second, two later in the sixth. You got to see Chi-Chi Gonzalez, which is just a treat and a privilege. Congrats to all of you who were at American Family Field yesterday. I can't imagine how how fun that was. Those are the kind of games you want to be at the ballpark for, right? And if you're keeping track at home, which you should be, it was a seesaw game which I keep bringing up on the show and I keep referencing and I keep talking about because I think games like yesterday's game are important for us. It's important for the Brewers. It's important that the Brewers show me that they can fall behind and come back. It's important that the Brewers show me that they can jump out to a lead and then lose said lead and take said lead back if they need to. Right, Yesterday, they fell behind 3-0, tied at 3-3, then scored five more in the second inning, then scored two more for good measure in the sixth. That's what I want to see. I want to see the Brewers putting together multiple scoring efforts, Right, coming back from a game that maybe you thought was over. Let's be real. When the Brewers fell behind 3-0 in the first inning, were you, were you feeling good? Or did you tweet or mutter to yourself at one point, eh, that's probably it. That's probably over, Right. It's good to see that the Brewers can fall behind and come back because, as I've mentioned over and over and over again, which is why I don't want to dwell on this very long, oftentimes when the Brewers win, it's because they get a two-run home run in the second inning or in the fifth inning, and then they win because their starting pitcher is great through six, and then their bullpen slams the door. And that's good. They can win a lot of games that way, but that can't be the only way they win games because that didn't work in the playoffs last year. They won one game against the Braves, and it was that exact type of game. Rowdy Telez, it's a two-run bomb, and you just expect your pitching staff to work with that. That's all they get. Well, this weekend, the offense gave the pitching staff a little bit more. So as we go through the season, pay attention to the different ways in which brewers are winning games. And we saw a good example yesterday, big day for the small ball crowd bunt in the second inning, some sack flies, etc. Now I could be a jerk here. I could rain on your parade. I'm not a small ball guy myself. Um, not really my thing. Don't get the appeal. Um, and I could be a real jerk, by saying something like this, I, I could go like this. <clears throat> Small ball. Huh? Rowdy Tellez had two homers. Narvaez, Adamas, and Tyrone Taylor all had doubles. But yeah, sure, that bunt in the second inning, that's what did it, guys. Yeah, that was the point of the game. Real way to miss the boat. Ten runs. Yeah, one sacrifice bunt. That's what did it. Again, if I wanted to be a party pooper, that's what I'd say. But I'd be missing the point. It's not about Telez hitting homers. Therefore, the Brewers win. Or Narvaez and Adamas having good games. Therefore, the Brewers win. It's not that simple. The arithmetic of an offense in baseball is not as simple as hit X number of these things, rack up XYZ of XYZ, and you will win XYZ percent of the time. No, it's, it's more complex than that. It's more jazz than it is math, right? Small ball isn't as simple as, Bunching a base runner from third to home for an RBI. And if you do that, then the offense will naturally get going and everything will be great. That's not how it works. It's more complex than that, right? Let's look at the first inning, okay? Brewers scored three runs, two of them off a rowdy Tellez home run and one off an Omar Narvaez double that he just drilled into the gap in right center field. And I could say, look, what's, what what's small ball about that? Look at where they got their runs. Home run and a double. That's big ball. Small ball. That's big ball. It's not a starter car. It's a finisher car, right? But Yelich <laughs> walked to lead off the inning. He ended up scoring. Luis Urias reached out an infield single. That's small ball, right? That's hitters going up there, putting together long battling at bats and not being an easy out, not striking out, not rolling over after two pitches. Adamas fouled out to first base in this inning as well. But even he, recording it out, Saw seven pitches, worked the count, fouled off a couple of balls, right? In the second inning, Brewer scored five on a Jonathan Davis infield single, a Yelich ground out, an Adamas single, and a Rowdy Telez home run. A lot of elements at play in that inning, right? Some of the scoring plays themselves are small ball. Jonathan Davis with an infield single, Yelich with a ground out, Adamas with a single, right? Now you have the to his Home Run too, but you can see the elements of small ball at work in that second inning. And that's not even counting Jace Peterson's bunt, which technically doesn't score a run, but it leads to a run. Also, Tyrone Taylor led off that inning with a double, which puts the, the pitcher on their heels a little bit. Berrios is a little, ah, oh, damn it, a guy on base, which makes it easier to bunt. Probably made it easier for Jonathan Davis to reach on an infield single. Made the stolen bases come just a little bit easier, right? Tyrone Taylor leads off the second inning with a double and sets the table for all of the small-ball-type plays. Whereas in the first inning, the small-ball plays set the table for the big-ball plays. Right? Are you seeing what a complex kind of mixed pot of offense yesterday's Brewer game was? Sixth inning, Brewers scored two on an Andrew McCutcheon infield single and an Urias sacrifice fly. Tellez also worked a walk to load the bases. But also, Adamas had a double in this inning. So, do you get my point here? Do you get what I'm doing? I'm not trying to downplay the small-ball plays... By pointing out that there was also a double and also a home run. That's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to point out that baseball isn't one-dimensional and that a good offense is not only small ball or only big ball. Successful teams with successful, consistent offenses strike a balance between small ball and playing for the big inning. Right? you got to be able to manage both of those things. I was thinking about this today. Balance, right? and supporting one style of play with another style of play, right? Now, they say that behind every successful man is an even stronger woman. We've all heard this before. I Googled it today. It's credited to, like, 10 different people. I don't know who said it, but we all know that expression, right? Behind every successful man is an even stronger woman. Well, for baseball teams with good offenses, in front of every home run, there is a walk. We saw that yesterday. In front of every double, there is a single. For every successful offense— There are small ball plays that help set the table for the big ball plays, right? And vice versa. Behind every leadoff single, there's a home run hitter, right? So if Yelich is going to slap singles and take walks and get on base, for this to be a successful offense, there needs to now be beef and power coming in the next two or three spots in the batting order. We saw that yesterday, right? Behind a leadoff guy who takes a walk like Yelich, there's Willie Adamas who's coming up there and able to hit a double. Or Rowdy Telez, who can come up and hit a home run. It's not either or. It's both. It's yin and yang. We need to be able to hit home runs, but we also got to be able to put guys on base before those home runs, whether it's a walk or a single or hell, a double, or you know what? Hit two home runs. Whatever. The more home runs, the better. But as we saw yesterday, all those home runs are most effective when you have singles, bunts, doubles, walks, reaching on an infield hit, bunting your way on, whatever it takes, right? The most successful offenses can do both and balance both, both parts of the offense, the ying and the yank, the alpha and the omega. See, we could really get philosophical with this. We don't need to. Consistent offense is really hard to come by, and the best offenses can balance all elements of hitting and all elements of offense. So maybe depending on the day, you can lean into one style more than the other, balancing big hits with the little ones. Another balance the Brewers need to find, and I think they found it yesterday, both patience and aggression at the plate. You need to have a little bit of both. And I think yesterday they did a great job of this. They had a great mix of long, tough at-bats and aggressive at-bats where they were looking to jump on the pitcher early in the count. The first inning's a great example. I organized this to to share this with you. I think this is really cool. Christian Yelich comes up and takes a walk. Six pitch at-bat. That's patience. That's, uh, That's seeing a lot of pitches work in the count. Okay, so Yelich is on first. Then Willie Adamas comes up to the plate. Now he fouls out, but he sees seven pitches in that at bat. So while he didn't reach, he didn't get a hit. He got up there, had a really patient quality at bat. So now we have a runner at first, one down. Now guys are coming up and looking to be aggressive. Rowdy Telez hits a home run, only three pitches in. McCutcheon grounds out, three pitches in. The second pitch was a foul ball, so he's looking to attack. Urias singled, that was two pitches And Narvaez comes up and crushes an RBI double. Two pitches. The first pitch was a foul ball. So to begin the inning, Yelich and Adamas, they're chipping away. They're they're picking their spots. They're being patient. It's like chopping a tree down, right? It's a process. Yelich and Adamas start the inning. They walked up there. You know, they had a little sharp ax, little saw, and they're cutting wedges. They're kind of lining up. They're doing the math. All right, if we cut this tree down, we want it to fall this way. So we're going to cut a little wedge here. Yeah, can you hand me the tape measure? I need to measure this. Maybe draw this on with a marker. Yep, take a little, another chunk. And then when they got their work done, everything's arranged. All right, bring in the big boys. Now you got Rowdy Telez coming in. He's like, all right, I'm swinging at the first pitch I see. Give me this. Takes a hack with an ax. Boom. And because Yelich and Adamas had done a little work before Teles got up there, it wasn't a wasted solo shot of a home run. That two-run home run immediately put them back into the game. And then Narvaez is able to tie it up all before Chichi Gonzalez comes back out onto the mound, right? I say all of what I just said to say this. Good offenses, of which we're trying to get there with the Brewers, that's their goal. Good offenses balance small ball while also occasionally trying to play for the big inning. A good hitter knows when to take a long, patient at bat and when to swing and be really aggressive. And yesterday, the Brewers scored 10 runs, and it's not a coincidence They balanced all of those elements perfectly from start to finish in one game. We don't even remember. I don't even remember who pitched yesterday. I think Gustave pitched the middle of the game. I see right here in front of me. I'm cheating. He got the win. I know Chichi Gonzalez started. I don't remember anything else about the pitching. You know why? Because the pitching was not stressed. The pitching wasn't part of the story because the offense balanced everything they needed to balance, put all of the pieces in place to succeed, and they ran away with this game. It's not like they were running a bunch of all stars out there. Jonathan Davis played a role. Jace Peterson played a role. Yesterday is the type of game you get when you balance patience and aggression at the same time, small ball and playing for a big inning. Yesterday was a great game offensively. Mark that game down. All of the good things they did. Watch for those things moving forward. That's process. That's how you're supposed to play offense in Major League Baseball. Let's talk more about that. Talk more Brewers coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you had an awesome weekend. Couple of fun brewer games to watch. Friday night kind of stunk, but. As I said to start the show, if there's one Brewer game that we skip a week, isn't it Friday night? Like, come on! How many of us watch every Friday night Brewer game? Now we watch during the week because we're not out and about, we're not doing things, get in bed early, reasonable time. It's a school night. Uh, Friday night is the night I will I will skip the Brewer game. Sunday afternoon can't miss. Saturday, Corbin Burns is going, so it's not like you were going to skip that. Uh, Friday night with Adrian Hauser—that was a—that <laughs> was a try again tomorrow type of game. Give me a call or a text if you'd want to join the show. 608 796 2558. You can find me on Twitter as well at Wisco Grant. Also, a very easy way to be a part of the show if you'd like to. Brewers winning yesterday 10 to 3. And the first 20 minutes of the show, if you're just joining me, I basically tried to outline all of the different things they did well yesterday. They had at bats where they jumped on the first pitch and they tried to get after Barrios, And then there were at bats that went seven, eight, nine pitches. Work the count forced Barrios to dig deep and make pitches. They did both. They balanced both aggression and patience at the plate. There were moments where they played small ball, infield single, sacrifice bunts, sack fly, ground out, bringing a run home or moving a runner over. That's good. But they also balanced all of those plays with home runs, doubles, timely hitting, right? The best offenses balance all of these different things. Touch of patience, touch of aggression little bit of small ball, a little bit of big ball, and then you score 10 runs. I don't even remember who pitched yesterday because it didn't matter. The offense carried the day, as Craig Council said after the game. Now, the Brewers are never going to be, with this personnel, one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. They could be good enough, I think, to win a World Series if everything falls correctly and their pitching is good. Yeah, for sure. But they're not going to lead the league in statistical categories with their offense. And even the best offenses in Major League Baseball aren't going to score six, seven runs a night. It's just not possible. There's too many games. Injuries happen. Luck is certainly at play. And it's the law of large numbers. 162 games, the offense is going to stink in a couple of them. Okay? But on those nights, when the offense stinks, ideally, the manager goes to the podium. And if it's Craig Council goes, you know, we uh, we did the right things. You know, ball just wasn't falling for us tonight. Right? And then you move on. Right? If you're a good offense with good process good plate discipline, patience. You hit with power. You hit with speed. You do all these things. If you're a good offense and you get shut out, chances are you smack the ball around a little bit, but you hit it right at the third baseman, right at the shortstop, right? Uh, A line drive that almost goes fair, lands two inches foul instead, right? You have a bad luck night. You don't have a bad offensive night, right? And the manager, like I said, comes to the podium and said, hey, you know, we did the right things. It just didn't work out. You know, such as life, such as baseball. One of the most important things I like to remember in sports, and it's something that I always try to bring up on the show whenever possible, process is so much more important than results, right? Now, especially when you're talking about 162 games, or in the NBA, you're talking about 82 regular season games, or in the NFL, the season's getting longer, and you need to win multiple football games in a row to make and eventually win a Super Bowl and win a championship the process by which you run your offense, run your defense, call your plays. The process is way more important than the results, right? Now, I'm not looking at yesterday's Brewer game and saying, wow, they scored 10 runs. They had a really good offensive game. No, we broke down the innings in which they scored, broke down the at-bats and said they did this, 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 this. That's great process. And if the Brewers keep doing that, they're going to score enough runs to win a lot of games. Doesn't mean they're going to win 10 games or, uh, or score 10 runs every night, but they're going to win a lot of games, right? It's the idea that process is more important than result. And this is true all sort, sorts of places, you know? The, uh, the stock market, for example. What do financial investors tell you all the time? It's like, hey, I know the stock market's down right now, but look at the last 30 years. It's going to be higher in 10 years than it is right now, right? If you put it in, the process is sound. Even if it drops here and there, The process is good. Investing in the stock market is smart process, right? Think of the Packers 2010 season. The process was there. The defense was good. Rodgers was there. It just took a while to come together. They lost close games early in the season. They lost those back-to-back overtime games in Washington and Miami. But then, as the sample size got larger, they played more games. You really started to see how good this team was, especially in December and into the postseason. Process, more important than results. Just think about deer hunting, right? There are men who will sit in a tree stand for six days straight and they will see one deer. And if they shoot that one deer, then those six days are a huge success. So you go ahead and tell me that process is not more important than result because if it wasn't, nobody would sit in a tree stand for more than two hours at a time. And yet we do. Right. It's the process. Put enough time in that tree stand. You'll get a deer, right? The bucks against the Suns in the finals last year from deer hunting to talk about the Bucks. You're the deer. They were down. 0-2. And coming out of that game, too, you're like, man, the Suns are really good, but the Bucks are doing good things. They're getting good shots. This might circle around. You just wait. And damn it if it didn't. They came back and won a title. Pull tabs. Keep buying pull tabs. Eventually, they'll hit. That's probably the worst example of them all. But it is true, I guess, in a sense. You might have to spend $300 to win $50. But, hey, that process is sound. Eventually, it makes money. If the Brewers apply the principles that we saw yesterday every day, Will be good. Balance small ball and big ball. Patient at bats with aggressive at bats. That's the ticket, right? Good offense. Explained the simplest way puts pressure on the pitchers and the defense. This is what Craig Council said after the game last night about Barrios, the starter for Toronto.
1: We kind of kept Barrios just on the ropes, you know. We we never let him up, and then we made it tough. He never like felt he got going until we had eight runs on the board, and he got going a little bit in the third inning. But that that's what. Today felt like, you know, we just made it tough on him. And you know, like it's frustrating on a pitch when you lay a great bunt down, when you steal some bases, yeah, it's frustrating.
2: It's frustrating. You frustrate the pitcher, you frustrate the fielders. So again, getting an infield single and a bunt to start an inning might make it more likely that a double and a home run happens later in the inning. Or vice versa. Right yesterday was it the uh the second inning in which this happened? You lead off with a Tyrone Taylor double. Now that double didn't drive in a run. But I think that double started the inning in such a way that put the pitcher on its heels, put the defense on its heels, and then made it easier to get an infield hit, a ground out, a single, a home run, right? Leading it off with a double can lead to small ball, or leading it off with a bunt can lead to a home run, right? All these things are connected. You want to put pressure on the pitcher and on the defense. I think I have a good analogy for this. So I was in Chicago on Saturday, and I was driving, drove down from Milwaukee. And it's a workout, right? When you start to get close to the city, you can't mentally tune out right the interstate is stop and go they, they have too many instances where the on-ramp is really close to the off-ramp so you move into the left lane to let the car come in from the right but then you need to get back over to get on the ramp that they just got off and it's just it's a whole thing it's messy right so you need to be dialed in white knuckled and then you get off the interstate you're in the neighborhoods so you got stop lights stop signs pedestrians just walk down the middle of the road which I guess in theory is okay, assuming that I'm paying attention and don't accidentally swerve over the center line, right? Which I didn't, of course, because I'm a safe driver, right? And while you're navigating all of this, by the way, find a parking spot, right? Can you, can you keep your eyes open for a parking spot while navigating all these different things? There's a lot going on. It's nothing like cruising on Interstate 94. You drive I-90 from La Crosse to 94 to Madison to Milwaukee. Oh, it's, it's nothing easier. Three, three hours goes by like a breeze. Find a nice audio book, book on tape, maybe a podcast, listen to the brewers. Oh, cruises by because you're just, you're not even thinking about driving. It's so easy. As a hitter, you don't want to allow a pitcher to feel like he's cruising down Interstate 94. Cruise control is 70 miles an hour. You don't want the opposing pitcher to feel like that. You want the opposing pitcher to feel like he's driving into Chicago in rush hour because he's got to go to this Bulls game. He's got to go to a concert, and he's still got to worry about a parking spot. And there, oh, there's an accident up there. Okay, we got to reroute. That's what you want the pitcher to feel like. And yesterday, Craig Council himself said after the game, "Never let Barrios get comfortable."
1: We kind of kept Barrios just on the ropes, you know. We we never let him up, and then we made it tough. He never like felt he got going until we had eight runs on the board. And he got there. You go,
2: right. He felt like he was cruising in rush hour traffic as opposed to cruising down the interstate. If a pitcher starts feeling like they're cruising down an interstate well, they're pitching against you, bad. Mm-mm, bad. We don't want that. We want the opposite. And that's what we saw from the Brewers yesterday. I want to talk about Christian Yelich coming up next. Uh, I think he's weirdly become underrated. Yeah. Make the case. I think he's underrated as a leadoff hitter. Let's take a tight five. We'll come back and talk about Christian Yelich. More Brewers next on the Wisco Sports Show.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show. I want to talk NBA in an hour. One hour, 60 minutes from now. Just going to wrap up the show. Because I think by then we'll have covered all the ground we need to cover with the Brewers. And also, there was some big news today. It seems like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving might both leave the Nets. We thought maybe Kyrie. Although I still don't really know how that exit is going to look. If he wants to go to a contender, that's going to be tough. But maybe Kevin Durant says, good riddance, I'm out of here too. Which would be be pretty funny. I actually really liked the Nets before Kyrie and Katie went there. So that kind of bums me out, but also screw them because they stink. And this brings me a lot of joy watching this fall apart. So we're going to talk about that in an hour. Right now, we're talking Brewers. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, Give me a text or give me a call if you'd like. 608-796-2558. Brewers won 10-3 yesterday. And we've just been outlining all of the different things they did on offense. You need to be multidimensional. You need to be able to play a little small ball, a little big ball, right? Long patient at bats while also sometimes be willing to jump on the first pitch, right? You need a good mix. And the Brewers really, really, really had a good mix yesterday, uh, which is a big reason why they scored 10 runs and ran away with the game. Even after they fell behind three to nothing, which the way this Brewers team is built and the way that they play, you fall behind three, nothing in the first inning. I'm not saying it's over, but kind of over most of the time it's over. Not the case yesterday. Really good offensive performance. Uh, I want to talk about Christian Yelich coming up, but before we do, I want to talk about one thing relating to small ball. It's not every day we get to talk about small ball. So I feel like we should leave no stone unturned, right? Bill Michaels had Craig Council on last week, and we heard a little bit at an interview. We didn't get to it all. Uh, One clip I want to play you that I think is really good that we didn't get to. Bill asked Craig about playing small ball and the ways in which baseball's changed since Council's playing days or even before then, right? Council's watched baseball his entire life. Right. More specifically, he asked Craig, how do you use numbers to make decisions? What's that like?
1: Well, you, what, you know, what what you should do is you should use the information to make your gut better, because uh, your gut is really you, you know, based on your experience and, and what you and your knowledge and what you've learned um, and information can help you learn, too. So you use the information to make your those decisions better. Every decision we make um, in life is essentially a gut decision. Uh no matter, even if we're looking at a piece of paper and it's got a number on it, you're still taking in other, other, uh, you know, inputs to make the decision. So, um, you know, you use information to make your decisions better. Um, and uh, to me, if you're not doing that, uh, you're not, you know, doing the, you're doing the decision a disservice. You, you got to be better at make if you're trying to be better at making decisions, you got to use all the inputs you can to make good decisions.
2: Gut decision helped by the numbers. Right. What do the numbers say? Rock and Rick is here. 608 Six oh eight seven nine six two five five eight. Rock and Rick, do you make a lot of gut decisions in your daily life? Do you agree with counsel there? Yeah, I say you
3: have
2: to. All right. All right. All right. I do too. I really like that answer. That's why I forgot to play it last week, but I want to make sure I stuck it in there. Especially after the small ball we got yesterday, Rick. How about that? A bunt and some sack flies. That was good stuff. Well,
3: cool. I, I don't know if I've heard any of your calls from people that want small ball, but uh, this is probably going to be more people from my generation. But I'm just going to throw three names out there quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh now Gwynn, Mark Grace, Mauer. Mm-hmm. You would never be able to you would never be able to do these shifts on those three batters. To me, to me, that's my idea of if I was going to say play some small ball because every pitch isn't a home run pitch but these guys that hit into the shift constantly I think that's what gets old or they're swinging out of their shoes with two strikes I think that's what gets old I, I love you know I'm human I love home runs just as much as anybody yeah. and I think one thing sucks but just constantly hitting in I don't have cable anymore so I can't really say you know that I've been watching it but when I hear it on the radio I hear you say oh right, I You know, hit it right into the shift. If that guy wasn't there, it would
2: have been a hit. So I wonder once in a while you would Yeah. Yeah, Rick. I wonder on the shift. Well, I just if you have something else to say, I just want to jump in before you move on. I wonder with the shift, do players hit into it because baseball and hitting in baseball these days is so hard that they're they're having trouble adjusting? Like I'd like to think that if it was just as easy as hitting a slow roller away from the shift, more guys would do it. I don't think it's a pride thing. Do you think it's that hard to hit away from the shift? Or do you think that these guys need to catch up? Like, growing up, they never used to shift like this, right? So this is a new part of the game, and as players come up and learn how to play the game and train in the game, they will eventually get better at it just by time and evolution. Do you think that's what's going to happen?
3: Well, I think everybody's guilty of it. We like the home run, so that's why these teams pay them so much is for the home run. So you can hit 230 and you hit 35 bombs, and you're going to make a lot of money. But if you're not Barry Bonds, you should be swinging for the fence every time. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, I sent you a text a couple of weeks ago about you know um, when we we're talking about Yelich moving up to cleanup, and I said I said since you're such good pals with Craig, I said Don't tell not tell Yelich he gets one swing for the fence. After that, he's to choke up an inch <laughs> yeah. and and just barrel it up. Remember? Yeah. Anyway, it's just. I mean, we all love home runs. I think it's I think it's exciting to see people jacking all runs, but every pitch just is not a home run pitch. And I'm not going to sit here and try to explain on the radio, but if you're trying to pull an outside pitch, that's where you're going to hit it off the end of the back and You're going to get grounders. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all I to get at. So I, I don't know what everybody's definition of small ball is, but mine is not constantly hitting into the shift that they – you know the pitchers have so much film on you, and the pitchers might be pitching a pitch to you where you're probably going to hit it that direction in the into the shift. I mean, I wouldn't think that they, but who knows? Maybe they think that you're so prone to swinging for the fence that they're going to pitch you outside, and you're still going to try to jerk it, and you're going to hit it right into the shift. I'm just wondering if that's when everybody's getting after you that they want to see small ball. I'm just curious if it's, you know guys my age who. We never saw that shift before, you know. So <laughs> I that, that's all curious because because bunting is boring as far as I'm concerned, too. Well, and I I think a lot oh,
2: of – and my issue with it, Rick, and I appreciate the call. Have a good one. That's and Rick. My issue with bunting is it's viewed as this cure-all. Like, if you just drop a bunt down every once in a while, you know, everything will get better. And, and that's not how it works. It's not as simple as that. Maybe, Rick, you have a good point. Maybe we should have started tonight's show by defining small ball. You know, anytime you give a speech – Best man at a wedding. Webster Dictionary defines love as, or what is the the Michael Scott quote from when um, Phyllis and Bob Vance get married? Webster Dictionary defies wedding as the as the melding of two molten metals. No, that's wedding. That's welding. Michael. Maybe we should have defined this. In my view, small ball and and for really it boils down to this. It boils down to making the opposing pitcher work. You don't make him work when after two pitches, you roll over to the first baseman right into the shift. If you do as a hitter what the defense wants you to do and what the scouting report says you're going to do, that's bad. That's not small ball. That's not that's not smart offense. That's just poor offense, right? If If you roll into the shift exactly where they expect you to roll into the shift, you've not made that pitcher work. You haven't made the infield work. You haven't made anybody work. But yesterday, the Brewers putting pressure, putting pressure on Barrios, who was pitching. And a lot of that is due to Christian Yelich. I I know he's not hitting home runs like he used to, although I think maybe we have a bit of a misconception on what kind of power hitter he was in 2018, 2019. So I want to talk about that coming up. Christian Yelich, I think, has sneaky become underrated as a leadoff hitter. In 2022, I think Christian Yelich has become underrated in the role that he's playing right now. That doesn't mean he's an MVP. He's not underrated relative to his 2018 and 2019 season. No, in that instance, he's very overrated. I think we need to actually be clear, speaking of definition, about what underrated actually means. Right? Earlier today, I was reading some NBA offseason stuff. Free agencies this week, draft grades and trade exceptions, all that crap. The Suns right now are plus 1,000 to win the title next year. They're behind Boston and Brooklyn. The Suns have become underrated. That's what underrated means. The Suns are a lot better than public perception would tell you, and certainly a lot better than betting markets would tell you, because I think they have a better chance at the title next year than Boston, and I know they have a better chance at the title than Brooklyn. Even if Brooklyn keeps Kyrie and Katie, I still think the Suns are better. But they're plus 1,000 to win the title. They become underrated, right? Yelich has become underrated. I don't know if the leadoff spot is going to be a permanent thing for him, and by permanent, I mean the rest of his career. I would not. Touch his spot in the lineup right now. Leave him there until the end of the season if it's going like this. I don't know if it's permanent long-term, career-wise for him, but he's so good at it. Uh, I saw there's a Twitter account at Yelich Hits that I saw this morning that tweeted yesterday that he now has a six-game hitting streak. I can confirm. I did Google it. Uh, A more illustrative stat, this is probably a better way to lay out how effective he's been since moving to leadoff, which happened on June 8th. Since moving to leadoff, Yelich has gone hitless three times in 17 games, and in two of those three hitless games, he walked at least once. He scored a run in 11 of the 17 games. Some games he scored multiple runs. That's what you're looking for out of a leadoff hitter. It's not even tied to a hitting streak. Although he's gone three, four days usually at a time, he's on a hitting streak. His hitless games are very rare, few and far between in the month of June. He looks good. Uh, according to the Ben Kenny Sports Research Department, or the BKSRD, as I'm now going to coin it, meaning Ben's Twitter account, at Kenny, uh, since the move, sitting 305, two home runs, six RBIs, 13 runs scored, and 11 walks. You see what I'm saying? Christian Yelich has become sneaky underrated as a leadoff hitter. Now, maybe we see this stint, however long it lasts, as medicine and eventually he'll find his power and he'll be back in the three hole or the two hole or the four hole or or whatever. One word on the power hitting of Christian Yelich because I think we get it twisted a little bit, especially in his 2018 season, his MVP season. This is his home run breakdown by month. This is something Andrew Wagner brought up last week. He had zero in March in four games, two in April in 15 games, he got hurt. In May, he had five in 29 games. June, he had four in 23 games. July, he had four in 28 games. So through March, April, May, June, July, the highest home run tally in any of those months individually was five. Then he had 11 in August and 10 in September. Forget wondering if he's ever going to get back to 35 home runs or 44 home runs in the case of 2019. Forget about that. Could he have a great August or a great September this year? Because really, that's all it took for him in 2018. That's way more plausible than a return to MVP form. We shouldn't be asking, hey, can Yelich ever get back to MVP form? Can he discover a hot streak of power for one or two months? Because if he does that at the right time, this offense can go as far as he takes them. But as of right now, he's killing it in the leadoff role. And he's become really underrated in that role because we view it as, as a demotion. Well, yeah, he's doing great, but he's moved to a less important role. Is it less important? Because their offense has been a little bit steadier ever since he moved down, certainly since that long losing streak ended and certainly since they ended uh, the last series they lost, which was the one against the Mets. Something to think about. I think he's underrated. Don't underappreciate what he's doing just because we know what he did four years ago. Right? Judge this season on its own merits. He's doing a damn, he's doing a damn good job, a bang-up job. In the leadoff spot right now. 608 2558 Give me a call or a text. Tweet me out, Wisco Grant. Talk more brewers next on the Wisco Sports Show.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show. Give me a call or a text. We're talking brewers. 608 796 2558 I was just explaining, uh, nay, pleading to you that Christian Yelich, I think, has become underrated. He's having great success as a leadoff hitter. Not, and not, this is, this is I think, what's wrong. We are wanting him to be 2018-2019 Christian Yelich, and he's not. He's been poor. So they move him to the leadoff spot, and he starts playing really well, and we're like, all right, fine, I guess it's, it means whatever. he's hit. No, if you judge what he's doing as a leadoff hitter in a vacuum, or screw a vacuum. Line him up with other leadoff hitters around Major League Baseball. He's doing really good. It's still not what he was doing a couple of years ago, but you got to start somewhere. You start building from something. Yelich has been really good. Rock and Rick texts in and asks, is his exit velocity still high? He's still barreling it up if it is. Oh, well, it's funny you ask and Rick because uh, I'm a baseball savant.com. Uh, Right now, or I guess it's baseballsavant.mlb.com if you're wanting to search at home and uh, research along with me on the program. The exit velocity that Yelich is at this year is at 91.3 miles per hour. It's his third high. Oh, never mind. I got that upside down. Hold on. I flipped it backwards. He would be right now at 91.3 miles per hour. This would put him better than last year, but other than that, so it's better than 2021 and 2017. It's still behind 2015, 2018, 2016, 2019 and 2020. 2020 interestingly enough was his best exit velocity season hands down. He's in the top 1% of the league at 94 miles an hour. His next closest was 93.3 in 2019. 2018 was a little bit lower at about 20 92 and a half miles per hour. It's very interesting. Max EV, let's see where his hardest hit balls have come. So if you take his hardest hit ball from each season and compare them see here 2019 was his best he smoked one at 117.9 that's almost 118 miles an hour and then last year 115 uh this year he'd check in his fastest hit ball is actually third at 113 so the exit velocity is comparable it's not terrible but it's not where he was at his peak to answer your question rock and rick but then again exit velocity isn't paramount to success now in 2020 he was at 94 miles an hour which was the top 1% of the league and he stunk that year he wasn't any good right and then 2016 which was his last season or his second to last season with the marlins was better than 2018 his mvp year so exit velocity is a good indicator of some things it's not necessarily totally reflective of the the production and the type of season you're having i think just watching him rock and rick and everyone uh, to welcome you and thank you for listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Now, now I'm not just speaking to Rick; I'm speaking to, have, to everyone. I think you can tell just by watching him that his exit velocity isn't at the same spot. He rolls over a lot of ground balls, but I think he's just more comfortable out of that leadoff spot. Craig Council gave him a different objective, right? A different goal. If you are doing a, a jigsaw puzzle, you're sitting at a big table doing a jigsaw puzzle, and you're looking at one piece, and you just can't find where this bastard goes been looking at the same piece for 25 minutes the, this puzzle is uh, it's a red pickup truck with a golden retriever in the back it's a red piece it should fit on the truck i don't know why i can't find it i can't figure it out you know what you do at this point you you try another piece you're like i'm gonna put this red piece down give me this green piece there's a pine tree next to the driveway where this truck is parked i'm gonna i'm gonna find a spot for this change the objective work on a different goal try to try to do something else and see if you can't check that off the to-do list right well, look at that i i Now I'm looking at something else, new perspective. I can see that this green piece goes right here. It's at this pine bough, which is right above this little stack of cordwood. Oh, nice tan piece. That goes right there. And now when you go back to the red truck, it's like, oh, okay, fresh perspective, right? I'm not tired. I don't have this stubborn feeling like I've been running into a wall with no success. I think Craig Council just giving Christian Yelich a different objective made a world of difference. Now, Yelich's tendencies as a hitter, least this season, are a lot better suited for the leadoff role. So I think Craig Council looked at what he was doing and said, you know what? You're kind of a huge, like, kind of a huge hole in our lineup right now. You suck as a three-hole hitter. But if we take everything you're doing now and move you to the one spot, you'll actually be a really productive player. You'll be exactly what we want, exactly what we're looking for, right? So I, I think just the, the roster manipulation by Craig Council, just tweaking here and there, gave Christian Yelich a little taste of success, probably loosened him up a little bit, and he's been playing so well ever since. Uh, and I think that original movement to the leadoff spot, which happened first week in June, I believe it was June 8th against the Phillies in a game that they lost, Right, I think that got the ball rolling a little bit. And now I'm, I'm interested to see how far Christian Yelich takes it. Again, something Andrew Wagner brought up last week, and I shared the numbers with you again about 10 minutes ago. In 2018, he didn't find his power stroke until August and September. He had 21 home runs between the final two months of the season. Now I don't think he's going to do that this year, but could he hit eight home runs in August and ten in September? I can see that. It's a long ways off. A lot can happen between now and then, so we'll see. And if that happens, man, Brewers could have a high powered offense, high octane offense. Use whatever word you want to use going into the playoffs. That would be nice, paired with this pitching. Let's take a break. We'll talk more Brewers baseball coming up next. Again, I want to talk NBA at five thirty, so stick around. Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes.
0: That ball got some carry and it's gone. It hit the top of the wall and bounces on out of here. He's done it again. Rowdy to Liz.
1: There's was definitely extra emotions playing against him. You know, they are the team that drafted me, gave me the chance to play in the big leagues, but I couldn't be more happy to be here in Milwaukee and be around this fan base and play in front of these people.
0: This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills.
2: I can't believe it took a full hour for me to bring this up. I am so sorry. Uh, The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup last night, which is great. It was a really fun Stanley Cup final. The story made sense to me, even as a non-hockey fan. The Lightning, who are trying to win another title, versus the Avs, who are trying to break through for their first time. Very 2018 Patriots-Chiefs AFC Championship game type of thing. I know it's not an identical comp, but that's the way I like to look at it. Right, and the Avs won last night, which was great. Uh, And I just want to shout out Russell Wilson, because this guy um, tweeted last night. Could not have tweeted like more of a nerd. Stanley, period. Cup, period. Champs, period avalanche let's go flex emoji lifelong avalanche fan russell wilson as tj lang tweeted love that from our guy tj lang now i want to be tj lang's friend um you know russell wilson just, just good for that guy i know he's been a longtime fan of the abs uh it just god he just bothers me he's just such a nerd broncos country let's ride avalanche country let's ride Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when, again, I'm going to bring this up just because we need to bring that. We should bring this up once a week just so we remember. Lest we forget that Russell Wilson on national TV once ran a fake huddle on an empty field practicing by himself. He was a Wisconsin Badger. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, I can't wait till he's not in the league anymore. Except then he's gonna become JJ Watt where he's gonna be on like national TV and he's gonna start his own stupid game show about I don't know what. But it'll be a thing. Ugh. Congrats to the abs. Not Russell Wilson. Not Russell Wilson at all. Uh I, I don't know what what fan or what team he cheers for, uh, but it's not the Avalanche. But congrats to the abs. Again, not Russell Wilson. Uh, fun Stanley Cup Finals. I wish I could provide more hockey talk. I'm just not the guy for it, and for that, I apologize. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you had a great weekend. Is everyone a little tired, a little hungover? What's going on here? Not getting very many texts. Rock and Rick is doing his best to call and get the conversation going. And Rock and Rick, I salute you for that. Uh, did we have a long night last night? Did we go out? What did I miss? What did I miss? We're a little, a little cloudy today feeling a little hungover. What is it? Now, I, I thought we'd all be amped out of our minds to talk about the Brewers. They scored 10 runs yesterday. What the hell, everybody? Give me a call. Let's talk about it. I'm excited here. The whole point of why we love and watch sports is when our team does well, we can talk about it with fans of the team, with our friends. We're missing out on that today. Let's, come on. I don't mean to I don't mean to be that guy here, but let's go. 608-796-2558. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Wisco Grant. Brewers on offense yesterday. That's that's what we're looking for. That's the ticket. And to reiterate how we started the show back at 4 o'clock, yesterday's game was a great example of how balance is so important on offense, right? It's so important to be able to play small ball sometimes, but still be able to hit home runs sometimes, right? It's important to be aggressive and swing at the first or second pitch sometimes. It's also important to... Work the count. Make a pitcher go eight, nine pitches deep. Sometimes, right? And the Brewers struck this balance so well yesterday. And that's why they scored 10 runs. It's not because they hit homers. That was part of it. It's not because Jace Peterson dropped on a bunt. That was part of it. It's because everything came together in such a way that led to 10 runs. And it was really fun to watch. Chichi Gonzalez was just, he was a spectator yesterday. We love it. Just get up there, throw a couple of pitches, don't give up too many walks, you know, don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be. And it can work. You can start a guy like Chi Chi Gonzalez and have success as we saw yesterday. It, weirdly, Chi Chi Gonzalez, been, him and Jason Alexander have actually gotten the job done. I don't understand how that works. Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer have been lagging a little bit, but these guys we didn't even hear about or know of until a couple of weeks ago, they're coming in and getting the job done. Bizarre times we live in Brewers scoring runs. They're winning games with, Chi Chi Gonzalez. Let's go to the phones. 608-796-2558. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this?
4: Hey, it's this Jeff from Holman.
2: Jeff from Holman. Thank you, Jeff, for getting the ball rolling. It's, it's a privilege and an honor to hear from you. You want to talk Brewers? Let's go.
4: All right, Grant. Um, this is what I got to say about the Brewers. The brewers right now, is constructed, are basically not going to beat the Dodgers. They're going to might win a series, but they need to go after a big bat, whether it be Josh Bell or Pittsburgh center fielder, you might have to give up, you know, uh, Willie Peralta or another pitcher and some prospects. Not that they have any prospects that they're probably willing to get rid of or yeah. Pittsburgh wants, but they have to do something because this is a the deal. They're, what are they, 25th in batting average? and They're up there in homers, but they're like either get a home run or, you know, Brewers are like this. If they score four or five runs, yeah, they're good to go with the pitching they got. but. Usually that's not the case. They're like two or three, and they'll have a breakout game here and there. And you would have told me, like, that streak they had not long ago where they lost, like, six or seven. I would have said, not with that pitching they got. But, you know, all it takes is an injury here or there. I think they need to go after a bat before the all-star break. They need to make a substantial uh, move and not, like, rent a player for two months. But David Stearns, his history is the rent-a-player. But yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case and they go after somebody. And I'll listen to your comments
3: and hang up. Thanks,
2: Lockhart. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Up in Holman, and home I appreciate the call. I feel like I got a little strong there telling people to call in. I don't like to do that, but sometimes I was, I was so excited to talk Brewers today with everything we saw yesterday. And Jeff, I'm with you on the trade deadline stance. Let's talk about that first. And the offense and adding a bat. I want them to add one really nice luxury piece. Like if, let's say, what's a good analogy for this? Let's say the brewers are an apartment and we're decorating the apartment. I don't want a $4 Star Wars poster from Goodwill and, uh, you know, maybe a a beer box. You remember in college when for whatever reason, guys, you just, you hang beer boxes on the wall. I don't get what, I don't know why, but that's just what you do. So you have all these random things on the wall, right? Let's say you have a, a budget of, 100 bucks. you go to Goodwill, get some things. Maybe you go to Walmart, get a movie poster or whatever. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get a lot of little things. I want to get one big thing. I want David Stearns to go out and get a big grand piano. And that's it. That's all we're spending money on. Nothing else. Like if we're decorating the apartment and we have a budget, we're spending it all on one guy. That's, that's how we're attempting to get into this trade deadline and make our offense better. Because I think this Brewers lineup top to bottom has a lot of redundancy. Like Hunter Renfro is very similar to me, to Andrew McCutcheon, who's very similar to Omar Narvaez. Adamas and Urias are very similar. I think Adamas is a little better and more consistent, but I still like Urias' upside. And when he gets hot, he's a dangerous hitter. I like Rowdy Telez. He's very similar again to Narvaez. And again, like they're all, they're all very similar. A lot of redundancy. I don't need another guy that's like all of these other guys. I don't need another Hunter Renfro, which is why I've kind of been anti-Andrew Benintendi. It's like, okay, well, he's the outfielder du jour. He's hot. But don't they already kind of have a bunch of Andrew Benintendis? Andrew Benintendi seems like the guy the Brewers would trade for, and then he gets here, and he blends in with all the other outfielders that they're spending a bunch of money on who aren't performing very well. I think, and I'm with Jeff. Jeff and Holman, Viking Jeff, who is, again, it was nice to meet you. Thank you for calling in, Jeff. Um, I, if you're going to attack the trade deadline and you're going to make move, make one move that's worth something. Go all in for a luxury piece. Go all in. Don't get a couple of nice little side pieces. Don't get a Curtis Granderson on this nice little retirement tour on a contender. Don't go get Jonathan Scope. Go get an MVP. Spend a lot if you have to. Otherwise, don't bother because this team's gonna have to get hot anyways you might as well just bet on them getting hot rather than adding i don't know andrew benintendi i'm just really anti-benintendi if you can't tell i, I shouldn't have brought that up that was a that was a sore subject 608-796-2558 dave is in Cudahy. dave i was in Cuttahay this weekend on saturday night believe that yeah where the heck were you i was coming back from chicago Oh, I was as well, but that was a Sunday night deal. Oh, why were you in Chicago? We, we can talk, we can bond over this. Well, what were you doing in Chicago, friend? I actually
5: uh, knew a couple of the guys that were on the big AEW show, uh, uh-huh. the big wrestling show. Uh, so I got tickets to the big shebang.
2: I, I was like right up there. It was awesome. Did you go to the AEW thing in Milwaukee last week? Was that a Panther arena?
5: I did not, uh, but I was busy teaching that night, so I I mm. couldn't exactly uh, go there. But it was even better because, like I said, uh, you know when you when you have like two hundred dollar tickets that are free, yeah. uh, I'm not going to complain.
2: No, I wouldn't either. I so I was in Chicago coming back through Cudahy, and I thought of you. It was at like one in the morning. I was like, I hope Dave calls at some point this week because then we can bond over me driving through his his home and native land. But yeah, what do you think about the Brewers yesterday? This is like the worst possible thing that could happen to the Brewers because this
5: is going to give them a false sense of security and hope. I'm sorry. This is a bad Brewers team. They're not good. There's no no way that they can contend with any of the major competition come playoff time. And uh, now if they make a move, which, you know, they're, they're iffy on that end of things. They usually don't do anything during the mid season, but if they do, it's not going to be anything of worth. And at this point, you're better off selling a few pieces. I'm not saying fire sale here, but if you sell off a couple of these uh, middle relievers that are, are putting up some great numbers and stocking up and then using that going forward into next season to bolster an offense that is anemic at best, then I would be feel a lot better than what's actually going to happen. But, you know, again, you're playing against a Blue Jays team that isn't very good defensively. So I'm not surprised that they won two out of three.
2: Oh, well, this is, this is kind of a bummer. Okay, well, so looking at this team on paper, I'm with you that they're not as good as the Dodgers and the Mets and these other teams, but... Something I've been really trying to remind myself this season of, Dave, we didn't think that about the Nationals a couple years ago. I certainly didn't think that about the Braves last year. So maybe if we get to August and September and it still looks like this version of the Brewers, then, yeah, maybe I'm there with you. Maybe this isn't their year and they're not up to the level of some of these other National League contenders. But who's to say we don't get to August and all of a sudden Christian Yelich finds a little power again and they're hot and they look like the best version of a team that just needed to get healthy and then they turn it on? I... I don't know, I'm weirdly taking solace in the fact that they haven't gotten hot yet and they haven't looked amazing yet, because that means the best is yet to come, maybe, right? That Braves team, and look
5: at that Nationals team, and then compare that to the the Brewers team that you see in front of you. It's not a fair comparison at all. The the teams, the players on that team, just aren't aren't equal at all. Uh. Maybe the pitching staff. I'll give you the pitching staff. That's for sure. But as far as offense is concerned, no chance in hell. And I know that seems like a bummer. I'm sorry. Normally, I'm far more positive and optimistic about oh, things. I get it. I get but it. At, this point, at this point, you know, the only thing that we could hope for is that we have an entire team built of Ricky Weeks, you know, where they, they can't play in the first half of the season. Then in the second half, they go, you know, nuts.
2: Here's the thing. I've done this comparison with this year's Brewers and the 2018 Brewers. I don't think they're that different. Like Manny Pena and Omar Narvaez. I think Narvaez is just as good. Like Jesus Aguilar was at first base, but he got ice cold after the all-star break. Rowdy Telez is very similar. Moustakis playing second. Urias and Mo- Moose. isn't as good as we think he is. We love him because of his name and because he's played here, but he's, he's really not that great. Jonathan Scope, Travis Shaw. Like Adamus is over. The- Adamus is just that good. I don't. I know what you're thinking. We think back of that 2018, team and we think, oh, that offense is so good. No, really, the difference is Christian Yelich, Like, that he was amazing and that powered everyone else. I think that's perfectly possible with this year's team. I, I don't know. We're we're and, not in the same way. Yeah, play, and we've talked high. about that. Yeah.
5: We have talked about that, that they need an MVP, but they just don't have one right now. And I don't know if they're going to find one to give any type of fire and life to anywhere. You know, let Rowdy Tellez decides to become the end-all, be-all in Brewers history for, like, that half a season. You know, similar to, like, what CeCe did, you know, years ago because now he's a Brewers legend for a half a season. That's what we kind of need. But I don't see anyone being that level of life that the Brewers need, at least not for this season. Again, I yeah. think you kind of – you play the long game. What You got one more year of available control with hater you know, at least in uh, as far as, like, monetary-wise is concerned. Yeah. I-, I think you play towards next season at this point, and I know that that's kind of pessimistic, but eh, it's just where we're
2: at. All right, well, we can revisit. Uh, before I let you go, I am coming to Summerfest next weekend, and I've not been in years and years. Last time I came, I was, m- my parents were in charge of everything. Do you have any tips for me as I navigate the big city next weekend? Uh, put your elbows out and start waiting side to side. All right. All
5: right. You got to be be forceful. Otherwise, uh, they're going to eat you alive.
2: (laughs) And I won't bring a Kia. I don't drive a Kia, luckily. So I'll be okay. Yeah, please don't. If you stay on the south side, you'll be fine. All right. All right, Dave. Thanks for the call. All right. Have a good one. Dave in Cudahy. Weirdly pessimistic. Wow. Didn't expect that. I mean, one could have that take. I tried to hit Andrew Wagner our guy from Forbes last week with a couple of those same ideas and he just wasn't having it. He shut me down. So he he kind of got me turned in, in a more positive direction. Uh, I got a tweet here from uh, X-Ray Punk Gaming. He says, I am tuckered out today. Blue Ox this weekend and golf this morning got me dragging. Yeah, the, the Saturday concert will do it. Who'd you see at Blue Ox? I know we're not on the phone, but I'm just curious. I saw Daniel Donato is going to be there. I don't know if that was last week sometime or if it was this weekend. I don't know the layout. Um, that was one guy. I'd like to see him. I saw I was going to be Eau Claire, and I checked my schedule, and I it just wasn't going to work. Um, but I like Daniel Donato. That would have been a fun time. I didn't see the rest of the lineup from Blue Ox. Um, but if there was some good bluegrass, I was down for some good bluegrass. Okay, so I get it. There are folks who are a little tired today. I, that's good. It's okay. We got Dave and Cuttahay. We got Jeff and Holman. And we can carry the load. I just thought we'd be a little bit more fired up to talk Brewers today. The one guy who calls in, Dave thinks they should play for next year. Man. That sucks. I don't buy into that at all. Let's talk about the starting rotation. Who would you choose to start a must-win game right now if Corbin Burns wasn't available? That's the question. Let's say the, the guys who are available are who are available right now. So no Woodruff, no Peralta, no Ashby. You're choosing from... Eric Lauer, Adrian Hauser, Chichi Gonzalez, Jason Alexander, and Corbin Burns. Someone needs to start tomorrow, and it can't be Corbin Burns. Who are you picking? I'm curious. I want to talk about this. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show, little disappointed with the Brewers vibes today. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna tell you how to be a fan. I'm not gonna tell you you're right or wrong, but a couple people I've heard from tonight. Dave is telling us to play for next year. Jamie at Ken's Barbershop on the north side. Is this a real text I just got from Jamie? Jamie, this is a bummer because I respect your baseball opinion so much, and if you feel this way, I feel like there's some credence to this, but also I, I I don't agree. I'm very conflicted here, Jamie. He texts in and says, "I don't have any real hope for this year's team. Great pitching isn't enough with an anemic offense. Come on, Jamie, Jamie, you're you're just stirring the pot, right? Jamie's skip balancing this thing. He has to be. You're telling me that you guys really don't have any hope for this year's team? Is if they? It's one thing to it's one thing to say." Well, they could win a World Series if this happens, if this happens. It's unlikely, but they could. You're saying no chance? How? How did we watch the Braves come out of nowhere last year and win a World Series and still not have any belief in this Brewers team or the Nationals the year before or any of of these teams? It's never the team that you think it's going to be in June or in July. Sometimes it's not even the team you think it's going to be in September when the Nationals just kind of show up in a wild card and you think... Eh, whatever. Maybe they'll win a a round or two. Same with the Braves last year. I just, I don't know. It weirdly makes me optimistic that the Brewers haven't looked amazing yet. It means the best is yet to come. It means they have yet to really kick it into gear, which I don't want them to kick it fully into gear right now because we've seen for the last decade, the team kicks it into gear in June and then they lose it by August and then they can't get it back. I weirdly feel really good about what the Brewers are doing because they're not doing anything too great. They're finding their way. They're getting healthy. They're tweaking the lineup. They're figuring things out. They're doing in the regular season what should be done in the regular season. They're just kind of existing, and they're sharpening their edges, and they're figuring out who plays where and who's best there, and they're figuring out if they have to add or subtract at the deadline. And then hopefully August, September, that's when this team gets rolling. Hopefully. But you guys can't even go that far. Come on. Now, Daryl has called in, 608 Seven nine six two five five eight. Daryl, you're nothing but positive, man. Come on, you gotta have something happy for me, right?
6: Well, what I'm going to tell you first is that number one, remember, this is a 162 game marathon. Right. One hundred sixty-two, one hundred sixty-two experiments before the playoffs, and the thing is, is that yesterday's experiment against the pitcher who uh, looked like he was a nothing. Yeah. Uh, basically show that the Brewers can't can't beat up on a a nobody. But the question is, can they beat up on a somebody? And that's what the Brewers haven't shown all season. Now, the first thing I have to say, honestly, the first thing that changed in the clubhouse had to be Kane's departure. I think think Kane's departure is part of uh, uh, some of this movement. Hmm. I think the reason that you're seeing some of this movement is because Kane knew he was playing out his final days. I think basically he really wasn't playing either. So in essence, you're talking about a guy who was not really, uh, as much as he was a teammate, and you know, camaraderie-wise, he knew his days were numbered. And I think he, he knew it when he was basically telling management the same thing. So as far as it goes, that was the first, that's the first indicator that what needed to be dealt with. All right? Now, in essence, yes, I like the fact that they tried to play small ball yesterday. They they tried to at least do something else other than hit the home run. Their their offenses shouldn't be just uh, home run or bust. Yes, they need to mix it up. And I and it really felt good that they you know even a bunt for a change wasn't wasn't something the Brewers screwed up defensively, but that they used offensively. And that's something that needs to be different in the Brewers' uh, uh, arsenal. They need, to, they need to keep the pitcher guessing because honestly, it's been the pitcher making the Brewers' bats do the guessing. And the Brewers need to take charge. And when they do that, that's when things will change. The Brewers have to be the ones that are going to be the aggressors, not the, guy, not the pitcher on the mound. You've got to scare the pitcher. If you don't scare the pitcher, you don't mean much right and that's exactly and 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 i just you know i think yesterday was an example where they scared the pitcher finally i love that and that's uh, my point
2: daryl did you hear what council said after the game i want to play this for you it's 20 seconds long this is council summarizing what they did to uh the pitcher from the the jays who's actually played really well against the brewers used to be on the twins uh barrios this is what council said
1: i think you're gonna agree with this we kind of kept. Real just on the ropes, you know. We we never let him up, and then we made it tough. He never like felt he got going until we had eight runs on the board, and he got going a little bit in the third inning. But that that's what today felt like. You know, we just made it tough on him, and like it's frustrating in a pit when you lay a great bunt down when you steal some bases. Yeah, it's frustrating. See, see, Daryl, you and Craig, you're thinking alike. Great minds think alike. Thank
6: you very much. <laughs> now here's what we got to go one step further though. Okay, we've got to do it a little more consistently. And the other thing that I think a lot of people are asking me is the same thing. I, I, I said, I'm not sure on. Okay, we got Lelich at the top of the order. I know he's not going to stay at the, stay there forever because of the fact that um, we've got people coming back from injury. We have to figure out how this lineup is going to work. The left-right syndrome has to be, has to be uh, kept in check as compared to using the best Offensive tools you have, whether it's left, right, or left, left, right, left, or something of that nature, doesn't matter. You've got to get your sticks in there where they can hit you. Or I should say, in this case, where you hit them. Yeah. And that's what I would rather rather be looking for is guys that are that are hitting. It doesn't matter whether it's left or right. It's the fact that they're doing their job. And one more thing, I think everybody's telling you too, we need to keep Rowdy Rowdy in the four hole. Yes. Not in the three-all. is a power hitter. And then you what you do is you put a good bat behind him, good bat behind him because then if he strikes out, okay, maybe that's two outs, but then you've got somebody coming up there that's ready to uh, uh, sting the ball somewhere else. Uh, I do like the uh, Jonathan Davis coming up. I thought that was a nice move so uh-huh. far. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I like the fact that he's, got, he's bringing some, back to the lineup and stuff and stuff like that, that could steal some bases. Uh, might bring a little more aggressive, aggressive offense. That's the kind of thing that we need in Milwaukee other than um, uh, hitting the long ball. We need to mix it up enough to keep pitchers guessing just as much. Keep their pitchers guessing. We can do more.
2: Preach, Daryl. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Have a good night. 608 Daryl's spitting truth tonight. Daryl, I feel like I get a little closer to Daryl every time we chat, just a little bit, right? He's all business, comes in, he says his piece. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking down that wall of yours, Daryl. By the way, I agreed with just about everything he says. I I don't think it's as simple as small ball, right? Make a couple of bunts, you play better. I don't, I, I think that's that's overly specific. I think you're missing the point if you're obsessing over small ball. You just need to put together good at-bats. Make the pitcher uncomfortable. Keep the pitcher guessing, right? The Brewers did such a good job of that yesterday. They had long extended at-bats. And then there were at-bats where they jumped on the first pitch. Right? Good variety. Good mix-up. Keep the pitcher guessing. There were innings that had a lot of home runs, doubles. And then there were innings that were defined more by putting the ball on the ground, infield hits, bunts, that kind of thing. You just you need to be able to do it all. Apply pressure in different ways. The Brewers did a really good job of that last night. I agree with you, Daryl. I get a tweet here from Eau Claire Chris. <laughs> he says, is Daryl calling from the National Weather Center warning phone? Uh Yeah. So that that's I think you got it. Uh Daryl, when there's no severe weather, they actually let him use that phone. Um, because they only really need it when there are storms, which is why you'll never have Daryl call on a day where there's inclement weather because he owns the phone. He he keeps watch of the National Weather Service phone uh when there's no inclement weather in the area. Thank you, Chris. That's that's very observant. Not the worst sounding phone we have. We have worse. We have much worse, which is why I have no problem taking Daryl's calls. Six oh eight. Seven nine six two five five eight. You can find me on Twitter as well, at WiscoGrant. Maybe a couple more minutes on the Brewers, but I do want to chat about what was announced in the NBA today. I guess Kyrie wants out, and KD wants out, and the Nets might be saying, all right, fine, good riddance. I did not expect all of those things to happen today, so let's take a tight five. We'll come back, talk about that and more. Wisco Sports Show, back in a few.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for being here. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Me a text or a call 608 79 2558 A couple more notes on the Brewers, and then I want to talk NBA to round out the show. I wanted to talk about Kyrie Irving, who wants out of Brooklyn. And then Kevin Durant said, Well, wait a minute, I want out of Brooklyn. And then Brooklyn and owner Joe Sy said, Okay, well, we want you out of Brooklyn then. And then Sham Sharania, about a minute ago, reported that Kyrie Irving is going to opt in to his player option, play the season out with the Nets the signing of the player option means he's going to make 37 million this year, which makes it really difficult for any other contending team to add him. And Kyrie Irving only wanted to go to another contending team. So this all but signals he's coming back to Brooklyn, which at the beginning of the day today, I kind of thought I had my thoughts organized. This whole Kyrie Irving situation reminded me a lot of the Aaron Rodgers situation from a year ago. Uh, all of the personality quirks and, uh, Let's say vaccination quirks aside. Uh, the situations themselves reminded me of each other. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. I want to talk Brewer's pitching. Now, the pitching didn't matter too much yesterday, although we probably shouldn't glaze over it. Craig Council said after the game, and he's absolutely right, that the offense carried him, and that's all that really mattered yesterday.
1: It's a day where, you know, I think the offense really picked us up and gave us a great cushion. And then it was, you know, up and down the lineup. Obviously, Rowdy had the big day, but up and down the lineup, a lot of guys did good things. And, um, where they all, they just, they carried us today and they made it, they made the pitchers jobs, you know, much easier today.
2: The bullpen though, he said, did a good job. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, who even pitched yesterday. I know Gustave did cause he got the win. Uh, anybody? Let's see. Gonzalez, Gustave. Oh, Trevor Gott, Brent Suter, and Trevor Kelly. Okay. Craig Counts on the bullpen.
1: It was good to get a couple guys back today and get them out there. And and so Gustave and, and Trevor, who we think can really solidify the middle of the games, kind of demonstrated that today. And in a game like that where you create a lead you know, you, and you keep that lead going into the later innings, I think that's, that's what those guys are here to do. Um, and, and they did a fabulous job of the day. And so glad to have them back. Corbin Burns was brilliant on Saturday,
2: which was a joy to watch. As he was last week against the Cardinals, he's had a really good week. Adrian Hauser was awful on Friday night. Would it kill Adrian Hauser to have a half decent start one of the, one of these times? It's not every time, not necessary. We don't need A plus stuff twice a week from Adrian Hauser. But you know, every other star, once every three starts, can we get something ha- Can we get something halfway decent, Adrian? Can we get something where we're not trailing by five or six runs through two innings? Maybe maybe that. that. Could we just get that, please? Eric Lauer hasn't been great either. Eric Lauer in June's given up five runs, four runs, eight runs, and three runs. His ERA cumulatively in the month of June is just under 7, 6.94. Let's say there is a must-win game tomorrow. Brewers need to win, and Corbin Burns is not available to pitch. Who's Who's going Who's going for you right now? You're a Craig Council. You got the ball in your hand. Who are you giving it to? Eric Lauer? Conventional wisdom would tell us, yes, Eric Lauer, but he just hasn't been great. No way I'm giving it to Adrian Hauser. I'm not giving it to Chi-Chi. Um, can I interest anyone in some Jason Alexander? <laughs> Has he not been the second best Brewer starter for the last month or so? I'm not even trying to be a troll here. I'm not even trying to be funny. Has he not been the second best guy, the second most productive guy behind Burns? Friend of the show, Kurt Hogue, tweeted this out yesterday. Since June 10th, the Brewers are 6-0 oh in games started by Corbin Burns or Jason Alexander. They're 2-7 and seven in games started by everyone else. And they won yesterday. They won a Chi-Chi Gonzalez start yesterday. So I guess change that to 3-7. to seven. But in the Eric Lauer starts, the Adrian Hauser starts, they've been... Bad. They've been really bad. I don't know what this exercise means. I, I guess I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make a point here. I'm just saying Woodruff's back tomorrow, which would be great. Peralta back later in the season. Ashby threw a bullpen yesterday, or uh, the day before yesterday. Craig Council said yesterday that Aaron Ashby threw a bullpen yesterday, which means Saturday. So he's doing well. Everything's scheduled there, so hopefully he'll be back. Now, Freddie Peralta will be later in the season, but other than that, the rotation should be starting to get back into place before too long. But the last couple of weeks, it's been Burns, Lauer, Hauser, Jason Alexander, and Chichi Gonzalez. Has Jason Alexander not been their second best guy? (laughs) Jason Alexander could step into the studio where I'm sitting right now, and I would not know who he is. He could stick his head in here and be like, hello, Grant, you host the Wisco Sports And I'd go, yes, and who are you? I wouldn't recognize him. He's been the Brewers' second-best pitcher. <laughs> what kind of weird world do we live in where the Jason Alexanders of the world are holding up their end of the bargain and Eric Lauer can't and Adrian Hauser can't? Well, I know why. I know what kind of world we live in. We, will, we live in a world that's managed by Craig Council. Craig Council does a great job of getting guys that you've never heard of, great job of getting guys that need to make a start. It's like, look, we don't want to start Chi Chi Gonzales, but we don't have a choice. So guess what? Hey, Chi Chi, here's what you got to do today. You gotta to get us this many outs, you gotta get through this many innings, blah, blah, blah. Set up the parameters, establish what's expected of the player. And normally the player comes through. And I don't I don't know if that's a framing thing. I don't know if that's a preparation thing. I think council does a very good job of asking the appropriate amount of success or production from every player. I don't think he asks for too much. And I think he gives every player a goal and an assignment, however you want to look at it. That's attainable. I think that's why moving Christian Yelich to the leadoff spot makes so much sense. He moved Christian Yelich into a place where he could be successful and notch little victories every day. Chichi Gonzalez, get us 12 outs. You know what I mean? Just four innings. Can you get us 12 outs? If you do that, you're the most important player. You're the best player today. And he's done that twice now. It's the same with Jason Alexander. Can you come in and keep the ball in the yard? Just keep the ball in the yard. Let your defense make plays behind you and hope the offense scores enough. And by and large, they have. Again, they're 6-0 in games started by Burns and Alexander since June 10th. It's, it really is something, the way in which the no-namers come onto this team. Well, it's the same in 2018. It's like, hey, you're going to take Yolisha seen. And Wade Miley, he's not a no-namer. All respect to Wade Miley, he's good arm. Gio Gonzalez, Brandon Woodruff out of the bullpen, just get us a couple outs. He finds parameters, and he finds ways for even his lesser name players to succeed and to be successful. And once Jason Alexander does it once, he's like, wait a minute, my role on this team is actually, it's actually pretty good for me. I'm being put in a position to succeed. So when he goes out again and again and again, as he's done, which I don't think really was the expectation, I I just think it gets easier for him. It gets easier for Jason Alexander. I can't believe we're still talking about this guy. I think that's why I'm enjoying talking about this so much is because I get to talk about Jason Alexander on June 27th. I thought this was going to be a one and done. We were going to laugh about how he has the same name as the guy who played George Costanza. We're going to play some drops. You want to get crazy? And then we'd move on with our lives. But here we are, and the Brewers keep winning in games that are started by Jason Alexander. That being said, thankful that Brandon Woodruff is back tomorrow. I need... I need another elite arm in this rotation. If you get used to four elite arms and now we're down to one, it's uh, it's, it's a tough drop off. You know what I mean? It's like you're used to having central air and then you move into a place that has no air conditioning at all and you're living with box fans. It's like, man, I understand there are people who live like this all the time, but not for me. Not for me. You get used to Burns, Peralta, Woodruff, Lauer, and then you're down to Jason Alexander, Chichi Gonzalez. Whatever's happened to Adrian Hauser and Corbin Burns. I need a little need a little boost. I need a little bump. Thank you, Brandon Woodruff. He should be back tomorrow. Uh, a couple of tweets here. Here's one from Hunter. Uh, says, sorry, Grant. You and Daryl are trapped in old school baseball. Mm. Though I agree about not letting a pitcher hit cruise control on an interstate. Yeah, we don't want that. You don't want a pitcher to get comfortable and get cruise. You want to be disruptive. You want to make them stop and go and make tough pitches. Pitchers nowadays are too good and baseballs are dead. Launch angle certainly doesn't help. Yeah, launch angle's the goal, although launch angle worked pretty well for Rowdy Tiles yesterday. Helped the Brewers put a bunch of runs on the board. We love to knock on home runs and launch angle when our team isn't hitting home runs, but then when they hit home runs, you know, we like talk about other things. Brewers had a near-flawless offensive performance yesterday. They were really good. Little small ball, little big ball. They worked counts. They were aggressive early and others. Really, really good yesterday. Um, I want to talk about the NBA. Kyrie Irving, I have some questions and a comparison to the place we were in with Aaron Rodgers a year ago. Weird deja vu with this Kyrie Irving story, which seems to have now at least come to a temporary conclusion. We'll talk about that. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next.
0: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
2: Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Tonight has been fun, at least I think. I came in, I was fired up about the Brewers. I'm taking a a weird amount of solace in the fact, or a weird amount of comfort, in they haven't got hot yet. I think their best baseball is still in front of them. And we've seen too many times in the last decade, they play their best baseball way too early. And now this year, they're starting slow. They're building slowly. They're not... I don't think getting hot too early, and we want to play him off. No chance. No chance to hang with the contenders in the NL.
0: Boo! Boo! Boo, boo, boo. That's
2: so what I have to say to you, the haters, today. we revisit in a month, month or two. Maybe this team never gets off the ground. Maybe this is as good as they ever get, but I think they have a couple of gears that they still have to hit. I think they can get a little better. 608 796 2558. If you want to jump in here before six o'clock, you can do so on Twitter as well. At Wisco Grant. I want to talk about the big story in the NBA this week. Free agency's coming up. The draft is now over. Kyrie Irving was the story that was the big one. And he didn't really know what he was going to do because he's got a player option for $36 million. You'd figure he could opt into that. But do the Nets want to pay him $36? I mean, he's barely played the last five years. Do they want to give him an extension? Does Kyrie want the security of a future extension? What's going on here? Anyways, the uncertainty with the Nets and with Kyrie was talked about. It was reported. It's been a story. It's been a thing. And up until today, I thought, hmm, Kyrie really doesn't have any leverage. Um, He doesn't really want to leave his buddy, Kevin Durant. He doesn't want to leave $36 million on the table. None of the teams that he says he wants to go to have room to include him. Like the Lakers don't have the cap space. Uh, Other contenders don't have cap space. The Sixers don't have cap space. So what does Kyrie want? What is he after? What is he trying to do? It reminded me a lot of the Aaron Rodgers story. Where for long stretches of the the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty saga, whatever you want to call it, all too often I was just sitting here thinking, okay, what the hell does this guy want? What's his end goal? Does he want to get traded? Okay, well then just ask. You know, just come out and say it. But this whole willy wony maybe i'll come back to green bay maybe i won't maybe i'll retire maybe i won't you know they need to put players around me or maybe they don't maybe they just need to pay me i don't know i'm i don't even know what i want because i'm emotionally immature and i like to appear intelligent and mysterious but on the inside i'm really kind of a dumbass i'll i i, I should cut that part out of the podcast i didn't say any of that was that did that come out loud that wasn't just in my mind oh sorry whoops so for long stretches of aaron rogers i was like dude what do you want this is a non-story. You have no leverage, right? You, you The end of your contract isn't coming up. You have no grounds to want to be traded unless you want to retire. But why would you want to do that? You'd be leaving all this money on the table. You'd be leaving. It just never made any sense. It was a story that seemed to me to be built up by reporters and media members and by Rodgers himself because it was something to talk about. We're all bored, including Rodgers, because he's got nothing going on in his life other than just messing with the fans of the team he plays for which again is so bizarre to me i don't get it right and then he signs with the packers and we're like oh so it was money all along oh, okay so cool so with kyrie i was wondering how this going to resolve earlier today it almost seemed like kyrie was willing to leave and kevin durant was willing to leave and Kyrie was willing to leave $36 million on the table. This is Brian Windhorst earlier today. The Nets are
5: putting out there right now that they are prepared to lose both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They would rather lose them both than go through what they went through last season, which was a miserable season under the situation that Kyrie Irving uh, contributed to
2: creating. Okay, so that was earlier today, and I thought, holy balls, he's actually going to leave. And Katie's going to leave with them. All right, let's go. Chaos. Now, the only team reportedly that was in on Kyrie were the Lakers. We're like, we'll take him. And everyone's like, of course you will. But, like, is there any team that actually has any assets whatsoever, any cap space, any picks? No? Okay. So Kyrie's going back to Brooklyn. And he's going to sign his $36 million player option, which is probably more money than he was going to get elsewhere, except for maybe at the Knicks, maybe get the same amount. But the Lakers couldn't give him that much. The only way he was going to get to the Lakers is if he opted out and then sign some 6 or $7 million contract, which could then be absorbed through some sort of exception. I don't know. It's all very convoluted. The point is, this whole Kyrie thing was a lot of nothing because in the end, he didn't have leverage. No team wanted to make him a priority because Kyrie hasn't made playing basketball a priority in the last five years. So why would any team be willing to move heaven and earth to clear cap space to bring him in when chances are he gets to whatever his new team is and he doesn't like that either. So he stops playing or doesn't show up to games or whatever, I don't know. This whole thing has been a lot about nothing. Really what it's been is it's been public negotiating and posturing. Kyrie was basically saying, I'll leave, I'll do it. And we're all thinking, "Uh, I mean, you'd leave 30... 30- 30 million, $32 million on the table if you opt out of your $36 million player option. Don't really know why you do that. Uh, I don't really know what team would actually want to give you more money than the Nets can give you. Um, but go ahead and leave, I guess. And then today Kyrie's like, I'll leave. And there are teams that are interested. I'll go to these teams. And we're like, uh, maybe, maybe, but probably not. And I think the Nets today, in their reporting through Wendy, were basically like, you want to leave? Go ahead. All right. Like, we're so tired of this crap. You want to leave? Go ahead. And then when Kyrie announces that he's coming back, Nets ownership is like, oh, really? Oh, okay. So what do you mean? You weren't going to leave $35 million on the table? Being here isn't so bad? Oh, yeah. Nice job, Kyrie. Like, good try. And I think that's kind of what the Packers did to Rodgers. It's like, oh, you're going to retire? Go ahead. Oh, you weren't really serious about that, and you've always wanted to play? Interesting. All right. Welcome back. Let's start the season. Both of these these stories were so similar. Woj's tweet today, less than 10 minutes ago now, without the ability to find a sign-and-trade deal, Kyrie Irving plans to exercise his $36 million option for next season and return to the Nets. Basically saying, he looked, no one wanted him, no one wanted to move mountains to accommodate money in a sign-and-trade, so he's coming back, which essentially was the same with Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't make sense for him to go anywhere else, so I guess he's coming back. Now, the player will say that it's because he had to do some soul searching and he pondered this and that, but really it's about money. Nowhere else made sense, so he's coming back. Some of these athletes, like, I, I don't like to be anti-athlete because these athletes play and they provide me content for the show. But it's just so annoying. Stop trying to sound like you're so much more worldly and so much smarter and you can, we can't possibly begin to understand what your decision-making process is like. So you're going to pull this insider around this way and feed information through this person to mess with us and see what we're doing. Like, it's just so, it's so transparent. And it's Aaron Rodgers. Again, uh, here's a text from Jared in DeForest. This would be a good way to wrap up the show. It says, Kyrie wants to be able to do whatever he wants to do. Some days it's about money. Some days it's about social platforms. Some days it's about his image. Uh, some days it's good health. Some days are few and far between. It's about basketball. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Kyrie. You want to be able to do whatever you want to do. Some days it's about money. Well, guess what? Today it was about money. Turns out he didn't want to leave $30 million on the table to go join the Lakers on a really crummy deal. Wow. What were the chances? Turns out with Aaron Rodgers, it was about getting $50 million a year the whole time. Who would have thunk? It wasn't about the front office respecting the players. It wasn't about this or that. It was about money. Wow. And that's fine. Get paid. Make the money. But stop leading us on this scavenger hunt constantly so we can try to understand the world the way that you do because you're really not that deep. You're just chasing a check and good for you. We're all chasing a check. We're all trying to make money, but stop making it deeper. It's not that deep. Tomorrow, we'll talk more brewers, maybe a little more NBA as well. Talk to you tomorrow starting at four.